Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. it's working right uh hello everyone yes it's very nice to sort of see you all in the semi-gloom uh my name is stephen platt thank you very much for joining me i am your host on this particular podcasting evening so thank you very much for downloading and indeed for attending for those of you directly in front of me um Hands up if you're new to this show, just out of interest. Anyone here brand new? Oh, we've got a couple. Lovely. Excellent. Well, uh, the basic premise is that um, every week myself and two guests watch a classic or notable film from the history of cinema and review it. Uh, One of my guests has seen the film and one of them has not, which gives us a range of perspectives on the film in question. Uh, This week is a bit of a special episode because this is the first one that we've ever done live, Uh, so it means that we have to be slightly on our best behaviour because it's harder for me to edit it out. Um, The reason that we've decided to do this is to help celebrate the launch of our official Patreon for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Uh, But Stephen, what is a Patreon? Well, I'm glad I asked. (laughs) Patreon is a service that promotes and supports creative people and their works with financial backing from willing patrons. Uh, That is hopefully you, the listener or attendee. Uh, Using Patreon, you can support the work of your favourite artists, musicians, writers, sculptors, painters, and yes, even your favourite podcasters, uh, with as much or as little funding as you wish to give. In exchange, uh, patrons are rewarded with different levels of content and have a direct input into the work of their creators. For example, our Patreon rewards include exclusive merchandise, the opportunity for patrons to add their input to future episodes, and indeed, the chance to win fabulous prizes. Ooh, good ooze, nice. Uh, Additionally, if we achieve certain overall goals, that opens up the possibility for more new content. Uh, Holding a live show such as this uh, has a surprisingly large number of costs, um, which, to be perfectly frank, are beyond my own personal budget. Uh, But if we have an appropriate amount of backing from Patreon, we can do this sort of thing more regularly, get together, maybe throw spoons at the screen, that sort of thing. But Stephen, I don't have the fiscal freedom to flippantly fund filmic frivolities. Well, that's okay. Uh, You don't have to. Patreon is entirely optional. These podcasts will still be happening. It's just that we'll be a little, little uh, in a better position to make them even better uh, if this is a success. It also... um, Basically, you can give as much or as little as you want. You can give a dollar a month. That's an option. You can support us for one dollar a month. That's $12 a year, for those of you that failed mathematics, Um, which is the same as a slightly expensive sandwich. And I think I know which is more likely to entertain you over the course of a year. So, (laughs) just saying. Um, For more information, please visit uh, www.patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast that's patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast and consider donating towards the show right that's the uh, the official bit out of the way now for the reason that we're actually here 30 years ago a film written by william goldman and directed by rob reiner arrived in cinemas and enchanted the world i'm talking about 1987's the princess bride Joining me tonight are two guests to help me review this film. Uh, My first guest is a local primary school teacher and full-time Disney aficionado. Please welcome to the stage, Nicola Brescianini. There you go, Nicola, take a seat. Sorry, it is a slightly long walk for those of you (laughs) listening at home. Uh, Hello, Nicola, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Stephen? You know, that's only the second time someone's asked me that on this. Uh, I think I was the other one as well. Y- yes, actually, you were. Um, I'm <laughs> yeah, that, that's a hint for future guests that might be listening in. You know, I am a person too. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so you haven't seen The Princess Bride. No, never. Uh, how have you missed this culturally significant film? 
I spend too much time watching Disney movies. <laughs> yeah, that's that's perfectly fine. Um, I, I do have to be perfectly frank up front here. I also haven't seen The Princess Bride. Stephen, how have you gotten through all your years without seeing The Princess Bride? I don't know, but that's why we're here to rectify this tonight. Uh, what have you actually heard about The Princess Bride? Uh, what are you expecting from this film? I, is it a, I don't even know if it's a musical or not. Well... Um, <laughs> I... Look... All that I know about this movie is um, all that they've referenced on How I Met Your Mother. Okay, is that... Fa- I also haven't seen Which, How I Met Your Mother, so... Oh, well, it's not much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know... Uh, oh, I know that Mandy Patinkin is in it. Okay. And I know that he used to be on uh, Criminal Minds. There we go. So. All right, that's the sort of extensive coverage you can look forward to, ladies and gentlemen, tonight. <laughs> Uh, thankfully, we do also have a guest who has seen the film. My second guest is an actress and an improviser who I once saw steal 20 pairs of shoes from an unsuspecting audience. So uh, for those of you here tonight, consider yourself warned. It's Kate Willoughby, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Kate, you have seen The Princess Bride. I have seen it quite a lot on and off since I was a kid. Uh, I've grown up with it and I absolutely love this movie. Yeah. Cool. In a vague, non-spoilery kind of way for the benefit of myself and Nicola. um, Right. What is it about The Princess Bride that you really enjoy? Uh, I love the fantasy of it. It's an adventure. It's got action, sword fighting, true love, uh, great comedy as well. Uh, and pretty much if you love fairy tales, uh, which is why I'm surprised, Nicola, you've never seen this if, if you love Disney. I'm sorry, I'm just wrapping my head around that one. Uh, but it, it is. It's a great fantasy film as well as um, action and really smart comedy, uh, which is why I think even though the music is a bit, you know, synthy and even though it's definitely a film from the 80s, it's aged wonderfully because of the great actors and the great story itself so it's like you're watching a period piece it's really good cool yeah excellent yeah summed up perfectly well done um now for those of you who are here tonight can i get a uh a a vague uh polite cheer if you have seen the princess bride yeah my people and uh if anyone hasn't seen the princess bride can you make a a sort of noise of of notice please oh cool okay (laughs) Like two people. <laughs> Love it. That's okay. Well, that's that's why we do this show, to uh, help rectify that. So, um, shall we watch the film, everyone? Yes! Oh. All right, then. Uh, for those of you listening at home, uh, grab your snacks of unusual size and prepare to die laughing as we watch The Princess Bride. Woo. Welcome back to the Cinema Catch-Up Club Live. We have just finished watching The Princess Bride, and I'm joined again by uh, Kate Willoughby. Hello. And Nicola Brescianini. Hi. And a live studio audience. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So, uh, I suppose we should start with you, Nicola. What did you think of The Princess Bride? Oh, it was really good. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it was a little bit... I, I was kind of expecting it to be um, a little bit more, like, Mel Brooksy. Um, mm-hmm. I was sort of expecting a lot more comedy and it, to be kind of like Robin Hood, Men in Tights, which kind of blew my mind when... His name Carrie... Carrie, Carrie. The main guy in it who uh, played um, Carrie, Wesley. You, Ulas? Are we, have we all agreed on Ulas? This is great. Uh, what's it? Elves? Elves. The, Elves. Elves. Oh, that's so much easier to say. That's, all right. This is so much better with people to... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, so, yes, Carrie yeah. Ells. Because he was in Robin Hood Men and Tights as well. So I think as soon as I saw him on screen, that's kind of what I was expecting. Mm. Um, there, wasn't as, yeah, there wasn't as much comedy as I thought there was going to be. Mm. And it started off quite slow, but it really picked up towards the end. I liked it. I thought it was really funny. Yeah, and there was, it was, I mean, there was a lot of comedy. There was a very... Um, I actually thought it was quite Mel Brooksian, which is, uh, you know, obviously a thumbs up in my book. Um, uh, yeah, uh, as a first-time viewer as well, I would have to say... I yeah I liked it it was it was good it, it, I, I agree that that pacing at the beginning I suppose it's um it's it's part of that world building it's it's getting yeah. you into this world of strange places like um uh, Aragonia and Australia and all these weird names <laughs> uh, that they have um but it was it was really fun um Kate yes first time rewatching it for how long. <laughs> 
Uh, I probably have. Uh, actually, I haven't watched it in a while. It's probably maybe been a, a year, maybe two. Okay, and yeah. um, I'm I'm gonna take a wild guess and say that it probably still holds up for you. Uh yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's really really good. Uh, what's really great about the story is that you sort of go on the journey like again, and mm. that's why I really like with at the end of the at the movie you have the grandson asking his granddad if he can come back again and read the story. Oh, and that I was think cute. and I think the movie is sort of based off of, like it's a story where it's like you can watch it again and again like reading your favorite book. Um so I love sort of going back into that world and it's it's very um cheesy. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean it was cheesy, but it, it was it was good cheesy. Yeah. Um, and I I I mean I enjoyed the framing narrative of having um of having it being a storybook being told by um, the, the brilliant uh, Peter Falk. I mean, half the time I was mm. convinced I was watching Columbo in disguise, but that was okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he had really great uh, pattern. The interaction between him and his grandson was really great. And it was nice to have the story interjected with that, particularly at uh, very tense moments. I found it was, it was quite jarring, but also... It, jarring in the best possible way. Yeah, it was really mm. good. It kind of broke up the story and it actually added us um, a little bit of comedy to those moments as well, mm. especially with the um, the eels. Yeah. yeah. And they kind of broke that straight away and, and brought it back to the um, the grandson and the grandfather. That was really good. That was clever. That mm. was really clever. Well, it is really clever because first it can um, you can jump to a scene a lot quicker, but also for younger kids it does sort of oh sorry, it does sort of give that it's okay, things are sort of going to work out for younger people. But um the way that they use the grandfather is actually because the book is a fake book. All right. So the the novel of the Princess Bride is a writer um, uh, the writer of um, so William um, Goldman, mm-hmm. who's writing a book um, talking about how his parents, his dad and his granddad, used to read a book called The Princess Bride, but realised they skipped all the intense parts and only read the good bits when they were kids. So then the book was... Uh, a retelling of all the good bits of the Princess Bride, but the Princess Bride is actually a fake story. And throughout the book, he has writes author notes, so he'll stop the the novel mm. and say, "In this point, there's about ten pages of Buttercup learning etiquette to be a princess. I found that really stupid, so we're skipping that point." And he'll like, so they managed to use what the book was based on about cutting in and out of this fantasy world and using that crux of the story of this was read to me when I was a kid, even though that's a lie as well. Um, but it's so they managed to do that with the movie really so well. Do I got confused? Do you mean that the book, the called the, the Princess book, Bride? Yeah, was. Do you mean that that was written kind of like a series of unfortunate events? In the sense of yeah. So in the Where sense it kinda, of it's going in between the storyline and the person telling the story. Yes, um, okay. but the person telling the story is saying that he didn't write the Princess Bride, and that it's based off an old you know book that's a hundred years old and that was like really thick and he's condensed it but that book doesn't exist so he even um says oh that i'm thinking of condensing the second book but um you know uh, i might be able to do it and he gives you a section of the second book of a book that doesn't exist uh and um he even he even mentioned stephen king saying that stephen king um thought that his version of princess bride was a bit rubbish (laughs) uh and that stephen king might write the next adaption uh it's it's that's <laughs> awesome. I need to read that. Yeah. So it. <laughs> but it, we'll go back to the. It's yeah. Inception, basically. It's Inception. It's, yeah. Okay, but okay, so okay, the yeah. movie does a really good job of um mm. of what the crux of that was mm. and using it in a different format. And I think that was really smart of how they actually. It actually makes it better. I've read both. I've read and seen, and mm-hmm. I prefer the movie. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's really yeah. good to know. Um. So the the film itself starts off with um the the establishment of the uh the friendship soon to be relationship between uh, Buttercup and Wesley uh, mm. on a farm of two people uh, <laughs> where one of them apparently does everything, which I, I'm just, it may be, I, I'm just not entirely sure what the actual agricultural industry of this <laughs> land was. It was, and uh, that, that, that was a slight issue. I, I let it go pretty quickly, but it was just slightly concerning that you had Wesley doing everything and he's presumably quite young. And yeah. it's no wonder that she, um, Buttercup, ended up with Prince Humperdinck because, because there were no other options. Yeah, 100% of her workforce was <laughs> well, killed by a pirate. Uh, well, <laughs> the thing is, is that in the book, um, and I think that's why in the movie they skip it because there's no point, you don't need to meet the parents. Mm. In the book, she is she does have parents and she torments um, the farm boy that works on their farm and Prince Humperdinck is um, going past, or the count is going past the areas to, you know, once a year or whatever, greet the people. Mm. And he sees her and, she's, and he's like, oh my God, she's really, really attractive. And she's like, oh, and she's really, okay, in the book, she's so much more like, <laughs> 
like angsty and mean and also just really dumb. Like okay. she's so much more dumb. If you thought she was helpless in that movie, that was her being like a badass woman, all right? In the oh. book, she was just like, oh, the most badass thing she does in the end of the book is that when they're trying to escape the castle, um, the guards won't let them go. And, and so she goes, move, I am your queen. And everyone was like, oh, go, oh. And they like step away and then they gallop off into the sunset. That is the best thing she does in the entire book the rest of the time. She's more like, uh, so she's, Did she have a lot of lines in the book? Because she didn't in the movie. Uh, no, she doesn't have a lot of line in the books either. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I did find, though, that the... Um the performances from um, Carrie L.S. and from um, <laughs> from uh, Robin Wright in particular were very good. So I, good. I wasn't aware this is where she, I guess, started. I mean, yeah, it, no. it, that, you know, that title card saying introducing Robin Wright was like, oh, yeah, okay. it was it was her first film because um, a lot of uh, larger actresses that were a lot more famous, a lot more well known, were auditioning for this role, and he wanted a brand new face. Mm. He wanted someone new, and she came in, and I mean, when you watch the film, mm. she's beautiful. Yeah. Like she's ab like. Oh my god uh and now uh and uh yeah so it and they're so good the chemistry mm. between each other was you believed that they they were in love which yes was nice. well uh one of the notes which i uh uncovered on the imdb trivia troll which Ooh. um yeah a couple of trivia fans in here <laughs> yeah. um was, was, yeah it was the <laughs> <laughs> it was that uh, obviously uh carrie and robin uh, actually did get quite close on the set and that, that a lot of that chemistry was actually uh, reasonably real uh, but also that one of the other actresses that they looked at in terms of uh, Robin Wright in terms of someone who was relatively unknown at the time was uh, Uma Thurman which oh, really yeah um, which is an interesting one and yeah. they, they basically picked her because she just wasn't quite right for the role in terms of her look and I, I, yeah. I have to agree I, I thought Robin was yeah. um, really just wonderful really it was really she good she really captured that like traditional idea of a princess she had like that flowing blonde hair and she mm. was oh. gorgeous wearing a white dress like mm. you know she really fit that stereotype quite well I can't imagine Uma Thurman in that role that's really strange no. mm. yeah she, well I mean we've seen Uma Thurman as a bride it doesn't work <laughs> out well uh, <laughs> I it would have, have it just it. been blood everywhere off Fazzini and Fezzik. And um, uh, yeah, in fact, in speaking of them, uh, we are introduced to uh, uh, Inigo, Fazzini and Fezzik as these uh, kidnappers, this ragtag band of uh, ne'er-do-wells that uh, steal the princess uh, to try and start a war for some probably not that important reason, just, just that uh, she was kidnapped uh, and essentially set up these challenges for this mysterious man in black who appeared. Mm. Um, and it was it was... The, the whole sequences with the man in black was wonderful. It was very, um, it was very Errol Flynn, I, I think. Yeah. And I think that was obviously a very deliberate choice on the on the part of the creators. But um, having that initial uh, sword fight, the duel oh. between um, uh, Inigo and oh, the man in black and, and Wesley. Wesley, yeah, it was it was just so cool. It was yeah. just yeah, it was watching it the first time. I was like, yeah, they're they're pretty good at sword fighting. Did okay. they do their own stunts? Yeah. Yes, they. They they trained for months. That uh, mm. was one of the bits of research. They trained for months, and uh, the the actual original sequence was only about a minute, uh, I believe. And they were like, and "Screw th that, we're good at this." Well, yeah, the director <laughs> was like, "No, we want more. We want more." So they ended up building this routine, and mm. it was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It, it was so good. I like the thing is, what blew my mind was the fact that um, it the the sword fight reminded me of old Hollywood style fighting because mm. they had enough to do witty banter, uh, and uh, but also. The fact that they're actors, they're not trained swordsmen, so the neck, but they had to learn how to fight with their right and left hand. Mm. Yeah. Like, so they had to learn a routine on both sides and it was it was just so well done. I think the next time I ever saw a um, an American film, I should say, a very mm. um, sort of more Hollywood film that had a sword fight that made me go, oh, wow, was um, when Pirates of the Caribbean yes, between Captain Jack that. and um, mm. Will yeah. Turner. That was the next time where I was like, whoa. And I think it has very much... Um, that sort of feel to it. It's got yeah. like two great swordsmen with a bit of banter and doing some interesting things in the space that they're around. Um, and you don't know who's actually going to win it. Yeah, and I thought that was really, really good because they're both great swords fi uh, sword fighters in um, uh, in Princess Bride that you're sort of like, who's going to win? Uh, and, and you're kind of rooting for both of them as well. Yeah, I know. They're, they're both really nice. Yeah, yeah. very polite, very, very <laughs> um, erudite. And that, that, was, that was really nice. And it, it really fit into that... Um, 
that storybook feel, you know, it was, mm. I mean, the inherent premise was, was absurd, even beyond agricultural practices. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, the, it, the fact that it was layered with this uh, two noble swordsmen who are like, it is a shame I have to kill you, but we must fight to the death. That is okay, my friend, let me help you up. It was yeah, all that, all that kind of thing was polite. just, yeah, it was mm. really lovely. And it, I think it was important, obviously, because these are essentially two of our leads. These are, and it's important that we like them both, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, in that sense. And then, of course, we also get, um, uh, Fezzik, who's uh, played by Andre the Giant, um, who was excellent. I, I couldn't quite understand him half I the time. Yeah. That was really hard. He is, uh, I can't remember what nationality he is. French. French? I thought he was Thank French you. because he famously used to drive in the car Thanks, to school Jason. with um, Samuel Beckett. Because mm. he Jason. couldn't fit in the school buses. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, he, was, he was absolutely excellent, though. Um, it was just... It was just very charming. Again, it was that thing of just it, it felt everything felt right in this film. Mm. Um, you know, the the snidiness of Vizini, the the pompous but uh, you know that kind of horrible evil, but layered in a level of pomposity of Humperdinck. Yeah. Uh, everyone was just playing these very specific types, but playing them excellently off one another. Yeah, yeah. it made it extremely enjoyable. But then also very aware that what they were playing as mm. well. Like so, they the layers of the characters, but also knowing that the actual layer of where fairy tale characters were not real and they really enhance that and I've always been inspired by Princess Bride and those kind of characters and I think that's why when <laughs> I like to gear myself when I direct things actually in that sort of direction um, because I've grown up with these kind of movies and I always sort of think if the stories I've done um, or that I'm directing I always think back to Princess Bride and a lot of the characters I try to make them like that because I'm like they're so because they do such a good job at being fictional you know cliches but making them their own yeah. now that I've seen the movie I can totally f I can see the links between the shows that you've directed that I've seen <laughs> and this <laughs> that was awesome mm. yeah <laughs> you can see my inspirations yeah. yeah it was it was really nice the, the thing that I was enjoying the most though was every five minutes going Oh, that's where that's from. Yeah. That was the big thing. So, you know, uh, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. Yeah, I, I knew that, that was almost certainly going to come up with a character called Inigo Montoya. But um, <laughs> he says it, yeah. he says it a lot. Like, you should know the quote by the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of had gathered that one. But there was a couple of other things, like the rodents of unusual size yeah. was a term I'd come across but wasn't aware it was oh. from this film until about like two or three days ago. Uh, it, yeah, it's just little things like that. And I, I can also see how at the time, and I'm sure when we get to our section talking to some of our audience uh, who uh, may have been around in 1987, uh, about how this was an extremely, extremely funny at the time, because even 30 years on, the humour is still there, despite, mm. um, I, I suppose, a lot of it having been planted and sown in, in the cultural zeitgeist. You know, you're aware of things like Beware the Six-Fingered Man or uh, uh, Mowage, you know, things like that. That's um, so really really pop although no i love my favorite every i still do it around with my friends and they don't know what i'm doing because oh. they haven't seen the movie and i'll just be like i'll be like the bits of despair and they'll be like <laughs> what are you doing uh, like i love that like i sort of think if there was ever a, re a remake of that movie which i hope not but mm. i always sort of think that character would either be played by ricky gervais <laughs> or um the bald guy from little britain oh and matt lucas <laughs> matt lucas yeah. either those two and every time i see it i'm like they would mm. be so, yeah, like it's, it's, it's very, very quotable. Yeah. It is. And, and again, Mel Smith, who played that role, was excellent. It was a lot, actually, that was the thing that surprised me. Was, a lot of comedians. Was that Mel Smith and Peter Cook were in this film. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at going. Who were they? Yeah, well, Peter Cook was, was the priest. He was Mowage. Oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah, had no idea. It was like, oh, that's nice. So they were very, they were famous, um, well-known um, English comedians yes. Oh, uh, yes. at the time. Um, so for um, so then they were like, let's uh, throw some Englishmen. And, oh, who's a funny American comedian? Oh, let's just... Um, and I've forgotten his name. He's super... Uh, Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. He's yeah. so good. Let's run Billy Crystal. Uh, now, oh, oh, sorry. Speaking of Billy Crystal, um, am I correct? Where's Carmen? <laughs> is there uh, a line one second uh, Nick can oh, you sorry. get the microphone over to Carmen please we have one we might as well use it thank you Nick uh, go ahead Nicola okay am I correct is there a line in Monsters University because obviously Billy Crystal plays Mike Wazowski yeah, and he says something he's having like a dream in his bunk bed and he's saying something about I'm just a simple farm boy is that was this right maybe <laughs> I like it I, I have only seen Monsters University once actually um, okay. And I don't remember that particular bit, but does you any, could well be right. There's like, does anyone remember that? 
Just me? No. No, I got oh, a no, general murmurs of no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I got a feeling I wouldn't be surprised if it was if that was sort of based off it because it I, was just yeah. a small little thing that he did and he was just in it and it w- that scene is just so funny like to blame he was um, great in that like uh, it sorry just Carmen him like you can see the actors <laughs> I'll never forgive you <laughs> Mm. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, and there were a lot of really just wonderful set pieces within this. I really enjoyed the um, the fire swamp just because oh. of how dangerous it looked, but how casual um, a lot of the well, Carrie in particular was around it. Just move you over here, fireball, and move you back. That yeah, kind of mid sentence, but like, oh, no break. But that's that. Also, that's what I loved about it, though. It was like the dialogue and the movement. Like she was a stereotypical sort of um, like woman in a story, and he was just so dashing he was like i got a witty line here a witty mm-hmm. line here like i know what to say and like just sort of that brute like literally the man in black like he was just that sort of perfect character yeah. and so witty like i yeah and the sets were so good yeah was there a particular uh, part of this film nicola having watched it for the first time mm-hmm. um that really jumped out of you uh, jumped out at you i should say as being kind of like this is why i i now understand why this film is is so highly regarded um, was there anything in particular that uh, sort of brought that to your attention? Ooh. Um, I think it's the sword fight scene, to be honest. Mm. That was just, it was so good. And I'm, I mean, I don't really watch a lot of other movies, but I can absolutely imagine that that would have been one of the best sword fight scenes mm. to have come out in movie history. That was great. Mm. And just, and you were right, between the witty banter, you really got a feel for both of those characters in that moment. The fact that Inigo Montoya, who's saying, oh, well, I'm going to kill you, is so polite about it. And he's mm. going to, you know, bring him up and stuff like that. It was really good. And it actually really helped the rest of the story, particularly um, after Wesley died and then mm. Inigo Montoya had to bring him back to life. And that it built that friendship and that trust between the two of them that yeah. I thought was really mm. important for the rest of the film. Well, because that's the thing. They only have that scene together yeah. and then he has to save him after only seeing him that once. So it's sort of like you have to show what could be a respect for each other. Yeah. So if they didn't have that banter, everyone would have been like, why is he helping this dude? Like, yeah. uh, so I think that worked out really, really well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and for myself as, as an, another first time viewer, I think the thing that really jumped out at me, I was like, ah, uh, yes, okay, now this is, a, this is why this is an excellent film, was storming the castle with someone who was half dead. <laughs> was just... <laughs> Wonderful. It was just really, really clever and just wonderful. The, the physical so acting. So funny. That whole so second many, half yeah. of the movie was so good. Yeah. I really got into that from the, from that point mm. on. Yeah, and, and so much of this film was just physical acting selling the idea. You know, it's, it's all <laughs> well and good to go, dead. he's mostly dead, but to then, like, you know, use the, the, um, <laughs> the, the blowy thing to then push on him to get true love out of his chest was excellent. Just all this, this ridiculous yeah. fairy tale logic was just beautifully utilised and the fact that all of the performers were very much going, we fully believe this. Yeah. It really sold that as a, as a first-time viewer from uh, 30 years into the future. It was, it was absolutely <laughs> yeah. wonderful. Um, and I was... I was slightly surprised at the use of uh, you son of a bitch. That, that did throw yeah. me off a little bit. In, yeah, it was like, yep, yeah, okay, you know, you really don't like the six-fingered man. I get it now. Yeah, but like it's also, it's, it was PG-13. Mm. So you could get, you could get well, like one curse word sort of right. in the movie. Uh, and I think it was done so perfectly because he, it, you, you know, losing, you know, your parent to someone like watching your parent be killed in front of you as a child mm. to then dying and to, I think you felt it. Um, you that, really, yeah. really felt it. And I think also um, the actor himself, he was speaking about it in interviews and he said that he was in his early 20s. Uh, he thought the movie, um, he didn't realise uh, how much he needed to sort of say that because he had actually just lost his his father mm. like a year or two before due to cancer. And he was doing the sword fight and everything like that. And he said when he had that final line, he put everything that he could into that fight, pretending, sort of envisioning that... Uh, this character was sort of like the cancer that took his dad. So when he did that big grunt, he sort of said what he wanted to say. And mm. when you're watching the movie, you're just like, oh, like, oh, you really mean it. It's, uh, and it's, it's really, really powerful. He does such a good job at mm. making that sort of Spaniard um, sort of come to life. Mm. That really whole well. last little bit between that sword fight between him and this, I can't remember the six finger man's name, but that was uh, Count Rugen. Count Rugen. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm. 
And that was actually getting stabbed in the bleeding, all that kind of stuff. I actually didn't see that coming. Mm. That was quite shocking. Yeah, it was, it was very effective because obviously a lot of the film is... There's not many deaths in this film, uh, yeah, despite no. the talk of revenge and <laughs> I'm going to kill you now and that sort of thing. There's really only very few deaths and they're quite comical. Like with Vizzini, he literally just turns 90 degrees one way and he's dead. <laughs> um, but yeah, see, seeing that and seeing... Um, Inigo hurt and looking mm. very much like he's about to die was really great. And I think part of the really effective story building they did was they had these moments where it was like, um, where the, the grandson would interject and go, no, that can't be right. They, how did they get married? How can she be the queen? And then it would be explained. And I think that sort of set it up where it was like the stakes were being raised ever so slightly with each yeah. Uh, yeah. new section of the film. And so it was like a character death although you wouldn't assume that at the beginning of something like The Princess Bride, uh, a, a main character death was suddenly on the table as a first-time viewer. It was like, oh, um, ah, okay. And it was very engaging. Yeah. It was uh, it was really, really cleverly done um, and well, enjoyable. Fun fact. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. In the book, he actually spoke about how his grandfather finished the story then that had the kiss and they were running out of the castle. And then in this fake book, um, he said that when he read it as an adult, he realised that obviously they didn't kill the king, uh, Prince Humperdinck, sorry. So obviously he got out of the ropes. He called the soldiers. They chased them over the hill. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously due to blood loss, he passes out and falls off his horse. Mm. Uh, and he's dying because he's been stabbed multiple times. And the book actually finishes with him pretty much looking like he's dead uh, and them actually being chased by the prince and all the guards. Um, and it the, the book actually ends that. It looks like that they're actually going to be captured and killed. Um, and so that's sort of how the book originally was meant to end. Uh, and it was actually quite interesting that um, how the whole point of the grandfather saying like who says that life's fair and everything like that mm. and that's sort of a whole point throughout the book uh, in the movie it's like life's not fair you don't always sort of get what you want but then at the same time have this really sweet happy ending but of course mm. um when you read the book you're like oh it's not happy at all oh cool <laughs> so, oh dear um, sorry so fun fact no no uh, it was, i mean it was it was like it was actually quite sad but that's, yeah. that's okay i mean that's that's perfectly fine um so we do have a couple of uh lovely little snippets from imdb's uh, trivia troll mm. um when asked what his favorite thing about making this film was andre the giant replied without skipping a beat nobody looks at me uh he felt treated as an equal without people staring at him because of his grand height oh and my i thought gosh, that's so sad. that is really sweet and it, that was the thing that struck me after reading that was like yeah i, I, I as, as a you know, as my own, uh, in my own viewership, I I didn't look at it and go, oh, there's a very tall man. You know, it was it was it was very much no, he's he's part of this world, and it seemed to make sense. And I think there, there was a really, um, there was a pleasantness that came off pretty much everything in this film. You know, the baddies were knowingly over the top, like the fact that the machine had like a setting of fifty, <laughs> uh, not to fifty. Yeah, and, and you know yeah. that that sort of thing. You know, the fact that um, you know the torturer. Uh, helps people get better, even though it's to make hurt them later. You know, there, there was always this sort of um, this sort of lovely knowing approach to everything that happened within the film, which was um, just really, really well uh, executed, and uh, I think that came across really well. Uh, if Andre the Giant hadn't been available to play Fezzik, um when they were first looking at making this film back in the 1970s, the the other actor that was being strongly considered was a then unknown Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, which could have worked out quite well as that well. That would have been good. Uh, I think. I, I mean, obviously, I think they both would I have been accent barriers. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, equally, would not have been able to understand him. <laughs> but also, I don't think he would have been as sweet. Like no. I know, um, like Arnie does really good comedies, uh, but uh, he doesn't sort of have that. I don't know sweetness that Andre really has. Like mm. when you think of like the Gentle Giant, I now think of like. Um, Fezzik, like he does like a really good job of just making him this really sweet and helpful guy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just a final thing here. Uh, Mandy Patinkin claims that the only injury he sustained during the entire film was when he bruised a rib trying to stifle laughter filming with Billy Crystal. So <laughs> I, I think I think that's entirely believable. Um, yeah. They were just, that was an excellent that scene. That was so funny. Well, in fact, when you, that is why um, when you look at the scene where he's going, oh, you know, his children are starving. His his <laughs> wife, when he's saying that, that like, look, he's, and you think he's trying to like come up with a lie and you look at it, when you really look at his mouth, you can actually see he's trying to talk to Billy Crystal mm. and say his lines and not laugh. And he's just like, <laughs> his children are, 
dying. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. Like, it's such a good scene. Billy Crystal, perfect. Mm. Absolutely perfect for that role. And you only see him once. And, and that's didn't it. didn't look like himself either. Yeah, because he would have been I super no young. Idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did not look anything like him until, until he started he opened talking. his mouth and it was like, oh, there he is. There he is. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, normally this is around the point where I would say, uh, I would ask our guests what we think of the film, but uh, we have quite a few guests here. So uh, I'd like to open up the floor to, uh, to all of you here. Uh, if you do have any thoughts you'd like to share on the film, just uh, raise a hand. We have one up the back there. Uh, in the middle. Up in the middle. Uh, this is for Nicola. Actually, I looked it up for you. Oh, and yeah. um, when having a dream, Mike says, I know you're a princess and I'm just a stable boy. <laughs> oh, so, yes, that, that was totally a princess bride. That okay, was a princess bride reference. Thank you, Kaya, because literally every time I've watched that movie, I've been like, I don't get it. Yeah. Why is he saying well, that? Well, I mean, also, it'd probably be a reference to pulp, you know, rom, like, you know, erotica novels like you know oh, yeah, 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 like oh you're just a but i mean if you have the context of princess bride it would probably have a different reference mm. so that's awesome thank you for looking that up i felt so silly yes yeah, thank you <laughs> no worries research, you're not guys. crazy um, sorry carmen anybody else with uh, with some notes uh, yes uh, slightly further down hello uh, what, what's your name sir hello i'm simon nice to meet you simon Nice to meet you too. And I've got a, I've got a thing on the Billy Crystal because uh, you're saying, you know, why do you get involved? It's because of a little known movie called This Is Spinal Tap, which ah. was Rob Reiner's first directorial ah. movie. And oh, there's actually cool. three connections to Spinal Tap in this one. Hmm. Uh, Billy Crystal, who was just played away to in the scene. The Count is Nigel Tufnell. And uh, Rob Reiner's character in Spinal Tap, um, I'm going to blank on this so badly, but... Uh, Marty DeBergi, his his baseball cap is actually behind Fred Savage's head. Oh, that's awesome! Up top, oh. throughout the throughout the movie. There we go. Excellent. I, I did not pick up on any of them, but thank you very much. Nice. Well, well, you know who to ask if you want to do this as Spinal Tap. I do. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> is right. a, that is actually a really good movie. But what I really, for me, when I was connecting Billy Crystal um, uh, and Rob is because um, they would obviously work together again with When Harry Met Sally mm. um, because uh, he wrote it and um, along with um, Nora Ephron. So was right. It? Yep. Oh, God. Uh, I want to say like a wrong fact. Yeah, no, that, that sounds right. That's, that's okay. <laughs> we don't know any better. Yeah, we, you can edit. It's all <laughs> yeah. good. Uh, anybody else with a point? Yes, uh, down the front, you young lady. And when I say young lady, I, of course, regular listeners will know this is um, the Cinema Catch-Up Club uh, regular guest, Tegan Mulvaney. Hello, Tegan. Hey, guys. Up, great Tegan? to be here. Thanks. It's been a great day. Oh. <laughs> it's been, um, I brought my daughter along. Oh. To, as This is Maisie. Say hi. Hi. Well oh. done. Well done. Is this Maisie's first time watching Princess Bride? No, she's seen it before. How, how many times have you seen it before? About five. Uh, how old are you, Macy? Um, nine. Oh my See, gosh. I need to catch up. It's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> no. Tears. Sorry. Tears. Um, I just wanted to um, uh, thank you for running this, first of all, Stephen, because that was super fun. You guys are doing an amazing job. Oh, thank you very it's much. It's really, really exciting to listen and share all these thoughts with you and keep my mouth shut um, <laughs> <laughs> and go, yeah, totes. Um, that's, yeah, but the thing I wanted to um, share was about um, Fitzik and Andre the Giant and his accent because mm. mm. um, it was a beautiful fact about when that he started, he was worse. Like, no one could understand him. Mm. And there's this beautiful story that Mandy Patinkin tells about how Rob Reiner was like, oh, I don't know how to get him to, to actually, uh, how, how do we understand him and get him to read? Because he didn't really read English. So they, they got Mandy Patinkin to sit there with him in a room and kind of go over the lines over and over and over. And this was in the first couple of times Mandy Patinkin and Andre the Giant had met. And at one point, Mandy Patinkin got so angry <laughs> about him not getting the lines, he just stood up and slapped him across the face. <laughs> and they said that everyone just went dead quiet because Mandy, they just realised that Mandy Patinkin had slapped <laughs> the world's best wrestler. At that time, uh, at that time he was... He, yeah. Yeah. yeah, famous wrestler. He was, oh. he was, it was him, Hulk Hogan and like Randy Savage and a few other guys all sitting around doing their thing. And at that time he was like the number one wrestler, I think. He'd been undefeated for years and years and years. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, and they all had this moment where <laughs> he just slapped him across the face. <laughs> um, and they reckoned it was the start of their beautiful friendship. Mm. They were best friends from that moment on. That's really interesting because, I mean, obviously they, they spend a lot of time together in this film. And there is definitely mm. an obvious chemistry there. Yeah. yeah. So the, the fact that Mandy worked with him working on those lines, that makes a lot of sense that that's where they developed that. Um, which that's, that's really lovely. Thank it's you. It's yeah. beautiful. It was, it's one of my 
I have a, a, a graphic novel of the life of Andre the Giant um, <laughs> at home and it's in there and it was, um, yeah, my little, my little heartwarming story. Aww. That's yeah, really sweet. Thanks. No, it is Excellent. really sweet. I, yeah, he was so good. That's why on the thing it says Andre the Giant because mm. that was his, like, sort stage of name. stage name for mm. wrestling. thought so that was a weird surname. So, <laughs> <laughs> so people would know him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Uh, anybody else? Uh, yes, uh, young man in the front row, also known as Luke Jago from <laughs> the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Hello, Luke. Hello. Hello. Uh, I guess this is just a question for Kate. Oh. Um, yes. Did you, like me, when Wesley dove into the lightning sand, tried to hold your breath as long as he did? I'm <laughs> a goddamn freak. Yeah, I have tried and failed every time. Uh, but yeah, every time I still go like, <gasps> and even though I've seen it so many times, when they, after the RAUS goes past, and they just pause it that extra length, and mm. you're just going, they're dead. There's, <laughs> that's it. Mm. And it's that perfect pause, and just the hand coming out, you're like, <gasps> the oh music stopped too. Yeah, yeah, and I've tried holding my breath, and I fail every time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I fail. I do it as well, nearly every time, yeah. That Wait, have you succeeded? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah he doesn't mess around. He though. doesn't he's mess around. <laughs> yeah. um, it, just before we pass it on to the uh, next person in the audience there, um, uh, one thing I did want to touch on, which you've just reminded me, is the use of music in this film. There's a lot mm. of there's a lot of beats which happen within the music which reflect physical beats that are happening within the film. Yes. Like when Mandy Patinkin is going up against the door and, um, bum, and, and failing. And bum, I, bum, I didn't yeah. click on it until about halfway through the film. And uh, just as a first time viewer, I was like, ah, oh, that's, again, it's just one of those things where it's like clever people doing really nice, clever things <laughs> is just really lovely. And it, it was a really great use of sound. And the, the music wasn't particularly... It was very synthy. Yeah, it was very synthy, and I, I, I'm struggling to remember the tune of any of it. But I, I, I do. There's, there's sort of a general feel which it created, which mm. um, is is uh, very resonant with the film and, and very well used. So um, I, I thought the sound was actually quite lovely. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, young lady in the middle. Hi, I'm Kelsey. Um, I was actually just going to carry on from the sand thing. The only thing in the whole movie that actually made me cringe, like growing up watching this, was after they've been like they've come out of it. You see her like she's coughing and spluttering, and she turns her face towards the sand yeah. and keeps yeah. inhaling. And, and as a kid, that just like. I mean, the it's amount of times you'd play and you'd get sand in your mouth. Yeah. And it used to frustrate me so much. I was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but I was just wondering, was there anything in the movie? Obviously, like, Kate, you've grown up watching it as well. But for any of you guys, was there any one moment that you kind of did cringe a little bit at? Oh, like out of, like, how bad it was? or like Not necessarily how bad, but it might be a personal thing. Like, for me, I obviously hated whenever I got sand like accidentally <laughs> thrown in my face while playing or anything like that and so it was an extra cringe moment for me but like was there anything like that or any moments where you're like oh that that line was just really poorly delivered or whatever the case may be uh, not not so much a, a cringe, but a moment that made me go, huh, uh, was when Andre the Giant threw the rock uh, and it exploded because, oh, yeah. you know, you don't actually see a rock being thrown. You just see an explosion. Um, <laughs> and that was really, uh, it was jarring, but it was also funny at the same time because it was like, okay, don't want to mess with him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I always got grossed out by the sand part too because I could see it going in her and it all, I was always like, ugh. Um, I think when it, when it comes to stuff that I was like, oh, okay, was the uh, fight scene between Wesley and Andre the Giant. I was always, that was like the one thing where I was like, all right. I like, uh, not much was done. And especially the fact that he was this well-known wrestler and then you got that and it wasn't much and then when i was mm. doing research i think it was actually because he injured himself maybe and he had mm. a really bad back and he yeah. wasn't really he wasn't really at his strength at that time so they couldn't really do much um i don't know what it was but when it came to the fight scene i was expecting like oh yeah a giant and the man in black fighting and there's like they're gonna do it and it's just mm. again it's he just jumps on his back mm. uh and i think it was that point when they're having the conversation before when he's trying to like just hug him. Mm. That's really sweet how he's just standing there going, oh, small person. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> after, when it got to the actual fighting part, um, mm. quote, sorry, I realise you can't use quote fingers without saying it um, on the recording, <laughs> um, there wasn't sort of much there. So I mm. think that was sort of the only time where I was like, nah, yeah. Mm. 
No, that's I can't even think of one. That's that's perfectly fine. <laughs> the only other, the only other one that popped up to mind is uh, either the, um, the the scabs on the albino's mouth. Oh, that's was gross. A bit, was a bit like oh. that. That's kind of good. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and the the hill roll that looked fun and painful oh, at the same yeah. time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's. I'm gonna pick that one. Yeah. That that. Yeah. I mean, that is some like. Lord of the Rings, New Zealand level of like Ew. of like uh, depth. It was like, <laughs> yeah, that they would be very sore after and that. And just kept going. Mm. <laughs> That's what I love they about never it. Never just going, ah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and instead of her just going, oh, okay, and running down, she just went, woo, and just like, <laughs> raw, and then all of a sudden it shots, and it's clearly a dude in a wig and a dress, just mm. like <laughs> going. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, that's like, uh, that's really good, yeah. Yes, uh, Maisie, you have the microphone. Yes. Yes. Um, I have a question for uh, you. Um, and for the, for the person who has seen the movie, um, I was going to ask if seeing the movie a second time or whatever times that you have, may have seen it, um, did you see anything new? And for the people who ha had seen the movie for the first time just then, um, is there anything that you really expected that wasn't in there? Um, yeah, uh, when I watch it, the, m the more I get older, uh, there's definitely some lines that I understand the context of more and mm. I sort of appreciate the dialogue a lot more than I did when I was younger watching it, um, which is really cool. Uh, and uh, not something that I've noticed more, but when Buttercup and when they talk about love and everything like that, the dialogue that they have with Buttercup towards Prince Humperdinck and how Wesley and how they talk to each other about how in love they are, the dialogue is really perfect and I think it's one of the few movies in the world where they say something and I swoon every time about how, you know, he'll find her, you know, their love is so special that nothing can stop it, you know, not a thousand swords and I think that always gets me. So the older I'm getting, the more I'm like, oh, that's so good. Uh, so I'm learning to appreciate it more as I got older. Nicola, was there anything that you were expecting in this film that um, didn't, didn't uh, happen, I guess? Um, I mean, like I said before, I was expecting it to be a little bit more Mel Brooks. So I thought there was going to be a bit more like, I don't know. I don't know. There was, I want to say I expected more slapstick comedy in it, but I feel like there was a lot of slapstick comedy. So I don't know what I was expecting from it. Um, I don't know, Macy, so you asked the question, oh, sorry, you've got the microphone gone. Um, you asked the question whether there was something else that you noticed, that Kate noticed, that now that she's seen it another time. Because you've seen it a couple of times now, is there anything new that you noticed? Um, I think I noticed a bit more of the context. I think I had a bit of a suspicion that the six-fingered man um, was planning to kill Pink's Prince Humperdick. Oh, Ooh. because okay. he said you're going to need your strength to get a good night's rest. And I remember um, that he want he liked killing people healthy. Mm. So oh, before I he tortured them. And I oh. think, yeah, and I think because he was king now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That yeah, I'm yeah. glad I asked you. Awesome, you're making some really good connections there. Uh, I really excellent. like that. I have never connected that. If anything, when I watched it Sequel. as an adult, I always <laughs> thought like, here I am marrying my bride, and here you are, fellow count, as we banter together and work closely together, mm. and uh, <laughs> and uh, of course it's film, so we're meticulously evil, and uh, and I found that I got a different vibe uh, between <laughs> the two of them, uh, but I never that actually makes so much more sense. Yeah. That is evil. I like that. I like that. I'm going to have to yeah. watch it again now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the only thing I was expecting to answer your question, Maisie, which didn't happen, was uh, I was expecting uh, Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews. But then I realised <laughs> that's the Princess Diaries, <laughs> not the Princess Bride. Um, but, you know, we, we, we all make mistakes. Uh, we have uh, a, a lady up the back who would like to ask a that question. That was so good. I love that I've never thought of that. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys. Hello. Um, sort of in connection to Maisie's question, and I really wanted to ask it because Maisie asked such a fantastic question, and mm. Kate has already alluded to it. But do you think the uh, homosexual innuendo between the Count and mm. Prince Humperdinck would be more obvious if the film was made today? Yes. Uh, yeah. it, oh, in a, uh, in a uh, remake of Beauty and the Beast kind of way. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah. sure. I think it's an aspect. Except that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think um, I think it's an aspect they certainly 
could have could play could have played with. But at, at the same time, um, I. I, I personally didn't make that connection between those two characters. I just saw two very evil people being very evil with one another um, and didn't necessarily uh, associate a potential romantic link. But having now uh, considered that, it's like, actually, yeah, that, 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 that is something that could have happened. You know? I actually thought something was going to come of it, to be honest. Mm. There we go. There's, there's an answer. I, didn't, I thought that there was going to so have something come from that, but it never did. But okay. the thing is, is that because they were showing the traditional tropes that they, I mean, like that they show in films of a villain with an English accent that's, he's, yeah, yeah. where have you gone with Hollywood stereotypes mm. of a villain since um, black and white films? They're just like, if they're intelligent and conniving, they must be gay, mm. ooh, evil. Uh, and that's sort of how Hollywood has portrayed it over and over again, whether it's like, even from animation to Scar from uh, The Lion King, they mm. use those tropes in old Hollywood to sort of say, this is the bad guy. Um, right and it gets used a lot. So I think would they probably use it in a remake? They probably would enhance it mm. more. Mm. Um, or th what they would do is they would, to make it out of comedy, they would probably make it like a one-sided, like, you know, those sort of gag where it's like, uh, oh no, mm. uh, <laughs> sort of uh, gag that they would do. And I think it would be more of like a joke, which I probably realistically wouldn't appreciate in the film mm. uh, because even though it might allude to it, it I, I think if they sort of made it more of a joke, it would just, Ah, yeah, I don't think it would do well, but they probably would, Hollywood. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'd like to know what you guys think of Buttercup as a character, because I know I'm sitting there going, why won't you do something? I hate the name. Yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was ridiculous. They all have terrible names. You can see even the prince hates the name when he's just like, yes, this is your queen. Buttercup. Buttercup. <laughs> yeah. What a queenly name. But yeah. That would be my first decree as a royal, would be to change that name. Yeah. Um, I, I look, I, I think b uh, the character of Buttercup, um, based on what you were saying about the book as well, Kay, um, is, is very much was, was created in a, um, in a sense of being a, an atypical damsel in distress. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I quite... I was really interested in watching it was um, the way that Buttercup portrayed... Uh, mourning for the the loss of uh, Wesley, the, the, yeah. you know, the, she she essentially spent five years in mourning and was just sort of allowing life to happen to her. Yeah, essentially, you know, she'd ended up being, and the fact that she ended up, you know, being the Princess Bride, you know, mm -hmm. the the titular character in this film, um, and and being in this, you know, again, uh, economically viable position, uh, but but at the same time, um, it, it it was just she didn't care, and it just it just a lot of life was passing her by and a lot of these things were just uh, going beyond her and I think it's there is a potential uh, for for someone if they really wanted to to really examine looking at some at some subjects such as uh, mourning or depression in there but uh, you know it's it's a light-hearted kids film so maybe they won't yeah. um <laughs> yes uh, Speak oh sorry I was oh, sorry. speaking of buttercup can we just talk about that moment with the king oh yes where <laughs> yeah. she kisses the king's I'm cheek. going to kill myself in the morning mm. that's nice yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, she gave me a kiss. Yeah, ah, I thought that was great. That mm. was such like a it was mm. such a nice beat of comedy. But yeah, all I mean, that. Yeah. she was playing a very uh, Juliet character from Romeo and Juliet. You she know, it's was. like I, I can't have my love, so now I'm going to, to kill myself. And the fact that that was played against this king was like that's nice, dear. And, <laughs> and the fact that you know it was like this very serious, dark uh, subject in and in and amongst all this zaniness that was happening in the castle. I think they played it off without it going either too saccharine yeah. or too morbid. Yes. Well, it was the same of when she was going to kill herself and then Wesley's like, you have really good breasts. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and um, the, the thing is, though, going like sort of back to Buttercup, when in the, uh, even when I was watching it again, I always do, is when he's fighting the RAUS and she's just standing there and no, then there's a stick, a stick there's a and stick and then she sort of just taps it mm. and then Nothing. she falls and same with um when they climb up the wall like they climb another no, cliffs of insanity sorry mm. and then they take her and they put her to the side and literally her direction probably was can you just lay there and she just goes <laughs> and just lays there so mm. there are definitely times where again in the movie she's so much more badass than she's in the book i know which is saying something but also robin wright did such a good job of when she was giving her dialogue, when she was telling Prince Humperdinck, you know, my Wesley's going to come for me. You're nothing. You're not a real man compared to him. Mm. Um, that intensity that she gives is so powerful, which I yeah, think first shows uh, what a wonderful actress yeah. that she was going to become. But also I think if you didn't have an actress like that, that 
really gave her dialogue the, that that she did have the mm. few dialogue that she lines that she did have to really hold that strength she feels strong until she has to do action then mm. she's not at all um but yeah so robin wright does a really great job which mm. is why yeah. it was great seeing in her in wonder Woman. i was about to say over 30 years she's really developed into a bit into more of a, a badass into a bit more of a badass someone actually has an image of of her in wonder woman mm. and she's then just used the title of um princess bride yeah um though she plays wonder woman's mum I haven't seen Wonder Woman. Oh. Okay. <laughs> How are you not? Okay, don't we are that, different, different podcasts. That different one's podcasts. only just come out. Sorry. Yes. Uh, oh, her sorry. aunt. Oh, yes, it was her aunt. It was her aunt because she can't have a yeah, mother God, because of... doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, it was kind of just to carry on from that. Do you think that, like, even though the title is The Princess Bride and the whole story is about her, it's also not like mm. even yeah. though she is the main the main character like it's about saving her it's about marrying her what at any point in time it's always about her but the story revolves around all of the other funny enough male characters yeah. <laughs> um because you know it, it obviously in that time period it's set as a you know they they're here to save the day or to ruin it and be evil whatever the case may be mm. do you think that the reason why her character maybe is so weak is just because she's not actually the focal point well i think one yeah well that's definitely a point i also think one um like uh, one she was the the movie was written by a man definitely gives it that sort of mm-hmm. sense uh two it is meant to sort of be renaissance yet they mention australia which mm. hadn't yeah. even <laughs> been invaded or colonized at that point so mm. that was really funny um but uh, yeah, that's actually really interesting. I always sort of saw the book as about, you know, love and what people will do for love. So, um, you know, you have one that seeks revenge for the love of his father because um, he loved his father and he died. Um, Wesley is seeking to retrieve his love. Mm. And uh, Buttercup learns that she thought he was gone and she gave up. And when he says death can't stop true love, um, what he says, it only, oh, it yeah. only, yeah, yeah. It only delays it for a little while. And I thought that was such a sweet, because you can look at it as mortality as well, that when someone passes on and her coming to terms with it and really never giving up that love could exist again. So I sort of always saw that of how people portrayed love in different ways. Mm. Um, That's a nice thought. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, she. I think she is more of the object in the film and not the yeah. character. I mm. think if it was written maybe again, probably with female writers, she'd probably be a bit different mm. um but a different time but yeah i don't think that if it was about her it wouldn't have been called the princess bride it would have been called no. like princess buttercup badass or something like mm. that <laughs> yeah uh you sir down the front row um so i was more like also focused on the costume and uh the prop throughout the film and i'm mm. just gonna say it's very detailed mm-hmm. in terms of uh the color coding and like some of the close-up scene you can see like, the details on the clothes and the, mm. the props i'm just like they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. it was it was great. Um, I mean, I mean, there, there wasn't a point where you looked at it and you went, "Oh, well, that's obviously a, a prop," or um, you know, everything had a very authentic feel. Which those was swords wonderful. were incredible. Yeah, except the rocks. Those were okay, the actually, yes, those that's were the only point. ones where you were like, mm. "Cool." Uh, yeah. But no, they do actually a really good job with the practical effects, and the and the costumes mm. were absolutely brilliant. And uh, I like a. Oh, yeah, they were mm. really, really I think good. The rats and the eels looked a bit dated, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure that at the time they would have been incredibly I th- scary. I thought the eel was still quite scary. I thought that was very well done. Um, we've got time probably for another couple of questions. So uh, yes, you. Just to sort of continue on to the costume. Well, yes, I agree that it was very detailed and the sets were amazing and stuff like that. I actually disagree that it was accurate or, th- or authentic, mm. and I think mm. it comes from that era which um, labyrinth and Never Ending Story also came from where the Dark Crystal, um, where they were like, we're, we're not trying to create reality. We're trying to create something that references reality, mm. but still be very obvious. And that's may, may partly be because um, uh, techniques weren't quite up to scratch and things mm. like that. Um, but they're like, we're going to be very obvious that this is not real life. Yeah, I think they did a good job of that in that it was very obviously meant to be set in that fantasy kingdom. Mm. So mm. if they had made it too historical, I think people would have been focused on the fact, well, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right, yeah. as opposed to being able to create its own little kingdom and make that believable. Well, mm. the thing is, is what I actually really like about it and how I sort of try to imagine it is that the story is being told to his grandson mm. and I see it as this imagination of the grandson 
And I think, uh, and so it's not going to be accurate because he's creating this fictional world and it's sort of the monsters and how he envisions Buttercup and how he thinks Wesley should look and how the character should talk and stuff like mm. that, um, which is why it be a very interesting stage adaption, but that's mm. um, like a whole other thing. But yeah, it does a really good job of, um, a part of me sometimes thinks that maybe they were like, oh, it needs to be set somewhere and they managed to like find like the costume department and they were like, we have these beautiful costumes and they were like, yep, boom, 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 boom and just mm. sort of grab stuff. I don't know if they necessarily designed for the show. Maybe they, I hope they did. It looks like they did, mm. but sometimes you look at it and you go, oh, did they just grab stuff? But yeah, Fezzik mm. had a very specific costume. Fezzik, yeah, they, they would have had to specifically it, to, make To be honest, costume. Andre probably had to bring them from home. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably what happened. Yeah, there was a bit of that. Uh, we probably have time for one more. Any more uh, what, anyone else have a final point? Because, I mean, I actually have a question. So uh, for people who haven't seen this before, um, uh, was there anyone here who hadn't seen it before? Hand up. Uh, yes, down, down the, the front. front. Okay. Uh, if <laughs> Sorry, Nick. <laughs> it's a little bit of a trouble. It's all right. Um, I, I just wanted to get... Uh, Essentially, just a, a feel from both of you, having seen it for the first time as well. Um, uh, let's start with you. What's your name, sir? Uh, James. Uh, hello, hello. Uh, James. Um, uh, what, what did you <laughs> think of The Princess Bride? Really, it was everything that I imagined it would be. Um, and just like you said earlier, that little moment where you, every five minutes you go, oh, that's where that's from. That mm. was, it was just a pleasure to watch, really, from start to finish. Beautiful. Mm. And uh, next to you, um, uh, so your name, sir? Uh, it's Cody. Hi, Cody. Uh, what, did you, what did you think of The Princess Bride? Um, it's quite hard to catch up at first, like the very first bit, where it's like jump five years and then she's the princess. I was like, what? Mm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at the end as well, when I'm like, uh, mm. just, you know. But it's great. It's great. Yeah. Good. No, no that's, that's, that's really good. Like it makes you sort of at the end, you're like, oh, what's going to happen and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I think it does a really good job of putting you on the edge of your seat regardless of your age. It does sort of feel like it's a, it is a movie for all ages. And I don't think a lot of movies can do that now. Um, uh, like live action, Pixar does a very good job of it. Uh, but um, I think it's really hard to sort of capture that sort of feeling. So... Let's score the film. Remembering Ooh. that, of course, we have an audience of, I presume, mostly Princess Bride fans. <laughs> um, yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah. Nicola, first-time yes. viewer, what, what's your overall feeling of The Princess Bride and what score would you give it out of 10? Uh, and I, as I have to say, every episode, yes, numbers are arbitrary when ascribing them to pieces of art like film, but we do it anyway because it's fun to put numbers on things sometimes. Um, uh, what would you give The Princess Bride out of 10? Um, I think that I'd probably give it maybe an eight and a half. I actually really liked it. I thought it was really clever. Um, I loved the whole framing with the grandfather and the grandson. That was really great. The acting was good. Um, I, yes, parts of it I feel are a little, little bit dated. Um, but it's 30 I, years old, yeah, so I think exactly. it's, it's done exactly. a good job. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved it. I would mm. definitely force my boyfriend to watch it. Good. Excellent. Yes. That's, that's the sign of a good film yep. if you force you your spouse to watch just it. Just say, Excellent. like, as you wish, and he'll be like, what are you saying? And then he'll realise that you're saying, I love you, and then he'll think that's really sweet. So you should start the as, I, as you wish now. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like a slow It's like, like a long con. Oh, all right? super romantic. Yeah, and then right, he'll be like, oh, baby, love me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kate, uh, as you're uh, giving out love advice, uh, Sorry, oh. <laughs> could, could you also give us a score for this? What would be your score for The Princess Bride? Um, I would, um, like, nostalgia, I give it a, a 10. When I look at it a bit more critically, I give it, like, a 9.5. Because <laughs> it's always, it's always room, room for improvement. improvement. Uh, no, I, I absolutely love this movie. Every time I watch it, it's one of these films that has really helped. Like, Disney films, yeah, but when I look at my style of comedy, um, my romance stories that I like, timing with music. I'm really particular about sound and gags and everything like that. It all originates from this film. And uh, I think the sort of stories that I like to tell really come from being captured by that. So I really, really love this movie. Um, so, yeah, 9.5. 9.5, cool. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, for myself, um, it, it's, really, it's a really enjoyable film. Um, and... I mean, for me, I, one of the things I really enjoy about films is if a story is well told and, and all the other elements sort of add on to that. And it is it is a very well told story. It's um, 
very enjoyable. There are a couple of little bits that are dated, but to be honest, um, the the biggest thing of that was um, the the mum's haircut at the start of the film was maybe oh. the <laughs> thing that's dated the most. <laughs> the mullet ponytail. Yeah. Like... Um, but but to be honest, it was it was really enjoyable. Um, I would I would absolutely watch it again. Um, uh, I would have to give it. Uh, yeah, I would probably give it eight. Uh, booing women out of ten. Boo! Boo! <laughs> Boo! Oh, it's such a great. Oh, we did a stage show of that. Sorry, mm, I played Miracle Max, and oh. uh, <laughs> and our drama teacher was Witch, and our Sophie Braham, that some of you know, she played Buttercup. Uh, oh, I can see that. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was lots of fun. It mm. made me love. Anyway, sorry. Well, let's finish the podcast. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yes, as Kate says, this does bring us to the end of our uh, recording session. So I'd just like to say uh, thank you to everyone here for joining us tonight to uh, help us review The Princess Bride. So thank you very much to everyone who's come along. You can give yourself a round of applause. Yay. Uh, and of course, a uh, very special uh, thank you to my two guests, uh, Kate Willoughby and Nicola Brescianini. Thank you very much for coming along. Thank you. And uh, a very special thank you to uh, Ellen Sears, Sarah Curtis, Tim Brain, John King, and everyone who has been working here at the Nexus tonight to help us put this on. Uh, this would have been a lot more difficult to do outside. So thank yes. you very much for letting <laughs> us do this. <laughs> Uh, so that is basically it. So uh, thank you all very much. Um, for more information about this podcast, please visit our Facebook page, the Cinema Catch-Up Club, or our website, uh, www.fortjarproductions.com. There's a banner down here, which uh, <laughs> it will guide you there. Uh, and don't forget to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast so that we can hopefully do more of these in the future. But uh, that's all for this evening. So until next time, my name is Stephen Platt. You have just listened to my podcast. Prepare to subscribe. <laughs>